Hey friends, thanks for tuning in to the Church Planner Podcast. Before we started today, wanted to tell you about a really special opportunity. Our friends at the Micro Church Conference put on by Brave Future, um, happening April 18th through the 20th in Kansas City. This is for all of you who are wondering what is a new kind of paradigm for missional church planting and church multiplication through smaller expressions of church, what they call rediscovering the smaller way. It's happening April 18th through the 20th. Kansas City is being hosted by Kansas City Underground. It's going to be a great weekend. And they've given us four free registrations to give away. Normally the price is $90, but we will get you into the conference for free. We have four of those. What you can do to enter is go on our Instagram at Church Planter Podcast. And there you'll find um, a, a DM button. Click that DM button. Send us a DM with your email on it and your name and where you serve. So email, name, where you serve, and you'll be entered to win one of four micro church conference registrations. You just get yourself to Kansas City and uh, you can be there and learn a ton from our friends at Brave Futures. Hope you enjoy the show today. I'm gonna go grab a spoon so I can start banging on my coffee mug. <laughs> oh my gosh! Okay, we are actually broadcasting now. So, um, hey, church planner, this is Pete Mitchell and the other guy, and this is Peyton Jones. <laughs> You know, it's so funny is we've got a real mix of people who have uh, signed up to attend this webinar. We've got our diehard fans. Do you hear that? What? I, I hear us being played back to ourselves. Well, I, not me. This is us like 10 seconds before. What do you mean? What are you talking about? You've totally lost me now. Dude, I'm I'm hearing a playback for some reason of uh, what just happened. Well, because you've probably got it open on another screen. Ah, that's why. Yeah, so you're you got the I'm delay going on. I'm on this webinar. Let me shut that one down. Uh oh. There uh -oh. we go. <laughs> Better. I'm two timing. <laughs> hey, so so can can you guys type into the chat box and let us know if you can hear us fine? Because. Uh, we hear each other fine, but that's not unusual for us. So Dude, just I, I didn't, I didn't realize you were actually putting on. We were like totally screwing around. We had prayed, we're all ready, and then all of a sudden Pete got up and did Running Man, and they were jams, and then and suddenly I hear you playing that back. I'm like, oh my gosh, man! All that, all that screwing around's on here right now. I told you, I just like when we did the video when I hit start broadcast. It's live. Right so, Tim, Tim just put in there, uh, well, that was a great start. <laughs> hey, so. Typical the Church Planner podcast and magazine. Absolutely, man. See, that's the thing. We got a good mix. We've got, um, we had about 40 or 50 people who don't know us sign up for the webinar. So they're probably thinking this is going to be a respectable webinar. Got it. Well, yeah, while the information is going to be dynamite, um, I don't know about respectable. That's not really what we do really well. So well, we we run the Church Planner podcast for those of you that don't know us, and uh, we do this every week. We've been called the Beavis and Butthead of Church Planning. 
Um, we've been liking the love line, but what we do is we talk very seriously about God. We don't take ourselves very seriously. That's that's how it pans out. And it, to me, like being on video, this is kind of like uh, I was <laughs> I was watching Wizard of Oz with my daughter the other day. First time we showed it to her, she's five. She can handle the Wicked Witch, right? That was a parenting fail. And uh, <laughs> anyway, so it, to me, this is like, you know, when she walks out of the house, like, and it's black and white, and she's in Oz, and suddenly it's color. There's like a third dimension on here, because we're, we're, we're kind of ugly. We're probably faces that are made for radio. Hey, speak for yourself. This right here, this is beautiful. I like what Brad wrote. Dave has a big gap to fill in respectability. <laughs> That's why we've got him on here, Brad. Charlie's my hero. Charlie just said, I have to agree with Pete. So, Yeah, he wants something from you. <laughs> so since we've got, you know, somewhat of a timeline, let me, let me give you guys a little breakdown here of the schedule. Um, let me actually pull open that screen. Start sharing that one. All right. So... Here's the schedule for today's call. First, uh, Peyton and I are going to be going deep on church multiplication. And if you don't know who Peyton is, um, he's the respectable one between the two of us. Oh, I, uh, no. <laughs> hey, I said between the two of us. I didn't say you were respectable like in general, but between the two of us, you're, you're the much more respectable one. I, on the other hand, was a pastor's kid, so we all know I'm trouble from the get-go. So uh, uh, Peyton is a serial church planner. How many churches have you planted personally? Oh, only I have planted personally, if, if you don't count the churches that I've helped with, I have personally planted two hubs. But because I serve as uh, an apostolic guy, uh, that number goes up to one, two, three, goes up to nine church plants, probably 10 now. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's really what you're uh, you've been called to do at this point is you're helping other guys plant their churches because I know right now you're working with three in uh, North San Diego, right? That area. Yeah. And um, plus we're doing Stanton up here in um, I guess Stanton is technically Orange County, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And of course we got the uh, the hub in Long Beach, and um, so uh, anyway. Uh, we're going to be going over some great content here for the next uh, hour and 45. And, by the way, for those of you that have been wondering about Jump School, which uh, we've been telling you about on the Church Planner Podcast. And, and, by the way, if you're new to us, haven't listened to the Church Planner Podcast, we'll just tell you right now, you, you definitely want to go download that. You can get it on iTunes or on Stitcher. Um, every week, every Monday, we come out with a new uh, episode. Though the last, I don't know, month or two, we've been doing two a week, Monday and then usually an interview on Wednesday. Um, this will actually count as our second one for this week. In fact, we might take the audio from this and, and uh, uh, put it out there on the podcast. But uh, it's the only weekly Church Planner podcast out there. And, um, you know, it's obviously it's free. It's on iTunes, on Stitcher if you're on an Android device. So get that. But for those who have been listening to us on that, you know, we've been talking about Jump School. So, um, we, basically, we've got two outcomes for today. We're going to give you some, some great content. You guys are going to learn a lot of really cool things, things that you can take back and start implementing in your churches. Uh, for those of you that are interested in Jump School, we're going to talk a little bit about that and how you guys can uh, become a part of that. If that's not something you want to, to do, don't worry about it. 
everything we do is is free outside of that stuff. So, I mean, you know, definitely uh, just make sure you have your notebook out for the great content. Then we're going to have a uh, a quick 15 minute break, probably 10 to 15 minute break, uh, just because we don't want to you know make everyone just sit down and go solid all the way through this thing. And then we're going to come back and we've got Dave Ferguson. Um, and of course, uh, Peyton Jones and that other guy, um, whatever his name is, um, yeah. the guy that you have to agree with him. The good-looking so, one, apparently. 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 So that's the uh, the schedule that we've got. Um, the chat box, which you guys should all see on the side of the uh, the webinar screen, there. Go ahead and type your questions in as we go. We want to do this as much interactive as we can. So. As you have questions, um, just to ask them. And Peyton will be delivering most of the content, and so um, I'll be, you know, reading all the questions and and bringing them to Peyton as we go through this thing. But you guys should also know too that we've got about a 60-second lag between um, when you guys hear it and when we set it. It's just the way Google Hangouts work. So just know it's not going to be, you know, Johnny on the spot. It might take us a couple minutes to. Uh, uh, get around to answering your question. But um, anyway, uh, anything else you wanted to say, Peyton, before we dive uh, deep here on church multiplication? Nope. All right. Well, that was nice and concise. That was like me. Whenever you ask me a question on the podcast, Pete, do you have any questions for our person today? Nope. <laughs> I'm good. I, I can always tell when I, you know, I, I, you were telling me, man, sometimes you ask me at the worst possible time. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> Oh, hey, we got Gabriel Provincio. Gabriel Provincio just got on. Hey, Gabriel's in the house. Good morning, my brother. Gabriel is like one of my favorite church planners we've ever met and interviewed. We met him at a pastor's conference a couple years back, and dude is just on fire for God and what he does and uh, does a lot of street church stuff. Um Deals a lot with the homeless, deals a lot with the down and outs, drug addicts. I mean... That's just weird to me. <laughs> actually, no, it's not. <laughs> so, uh, so anywho, um, let me, Peyton, let me, why don't we... Uh, gotta kick it off here. Yeah, um, let's get respectable. Yeah, so guys, thanks for joining us for this. Um, just so you know, kind of, you know, the reason that we're doing this is because Ed Stetzer... Uh, in LifeWay Research, if you don't know, he's one of the leading missiologists out there. He's got a lot of uh, financial backing, uh, works for the Baptists. LifeWay is, a, is an arm of the Baptist uh, denomination. And they profiled the top challenges that planners face. And the number one challenge was how to produce a, a multiplication or a culture multiplication, a church plant that will reproduce itself or go beyond itself. Obviously, when you're a certain uh, you know number of years down the road, our fear is that our church plan is going to become self-absorbed and forget about the world on the other side of the four walls. But if you don't get that right from day one, then you're going to be in trouble. So um, as I said, I've planted two hubs, but I've also helped. Uh, before I planted my first hub, which was accidental, I had helped numerous teams. I had been in Hungary. I had been in New Zealand. Uh, I had uh, gone to Wales. I had planted out of uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones' church. And in each case, I was always kind of like the evangelistic guy 
on the team, and I was committed. And I, I, I without realizing it, I was serving in a network um, as the evangelistic wing, who would kind of travel around like Paul's guys did, and uh, and I was serving a network without realizing it. And so my experience over the years has been um, serving alongside of teams, serving in teams, and then leading teams. And at a certain point in my ministry, uh, my ministry shifted from being my ministry. My ministry became about other people's ministry. And and I felt this, uh, it was during the first hub that I planted. Obviously, like I said, I had been involved in, in other churches. Um, and at a certain point, I felt, that God was calling me to equip planters because I was always discipling, always raising guys up and sending them out. And so um, I could remember at a certain point planting churches. Uh, when I planted my first hub, it wasn't as exciting to me as actually equipping other guys and still helping other guys. And I guess that's what I've always been. I've always been kind of like the catalyst who helps other people. If, if, uh, a church planner is planting, but he's more a shepherd or a teacher, and he's not really gifted uh, with evangelism. I, I took you know great joy in going there and being the evangelistic wing of that team. So that's kind of a little bit about my uh, background. And it, the reason this is such a big deal is because it's easy for a church plant to plant a church. And that's that's not what we're talking about. Hey, Peyton, let me ask you, um, one of the questions came in here from Mark. What's the difference between a hub and a church? Yeah, uh, that's a great question, Mark. A, a hub is exactly what we're talking about. It's a sending church. So it is going to be a church that continues to churn out church plants. So Newbury Church Planning really was a church planning movement um, that came out of uh, where I was when I was a mission missionary on the on the mission field in Wales. I was there for 12 years um, I had worked within a lot of the churches that existed, and like I said, I started a, a, a reading group out of Starbucks around Dan Brown Da Vinci Code, not thinking at all that I was going to start a church. And 30 non-believers turned up. That became a church, and again, because I was leaving. I've always been the guy that I'm leaving. I'm not staying. So I ended up planting a church there on accident, and the more it became obvious, the night before our launch, the guy who was going to take it that I was helping looked at me and said, hey, man, I'm not coming. And uh, my wife works an hour away, and we're moving there, and I, I want to support her right now. And I was on my way back to America. So um, so I ended up roped into this, but God kind of changed it for me from day one that it was about you know equipping others. So a hub is a church planting factory. It's going to be a church that plants out of itself. And so, like, uh, Jerusalem became, really, if you want to think about it, a hub. They discipled people, they spread out, and the gospel went out to Samaria, Judea, and eventually up to Antioch, where Paul was brought. Antioch became a hub, where they sent out missionaries, um, starting notably with Paul and Barnabas, who had been there for a year. And then we see Ephesus, and eventually Rome, you know. Um, the book of Acts kind of ends with Rome, but that's where Paul needs to get, and of course, Traditionally, he goes beyond to Spain, um, and there's there's a lot of research about what happened there, that that wasn't necessarily the end game for Paul. He comes back to Rome, and Rome, like the old saying, all roads lead to Rome, well, all roads obviously led out of Rome. And so that was the center of the world, and that's where he went. So 
Hope that kind of answers that question. If it doesn't tell me, no, that answer sucked, please do it again. <laughs> well, the answers only suck when they come from Pete, but, uh, but that's all right. Hey, I'll have you know that Pete actually, when we're coaching church planners together, um, Pete contributes good things. And sometimes even I have to agree with Pete. <laughs> oh, that's a soundbite, man. That it's one's on going film, to too. It's on film. Dang it. What was I thinking? All right, so let me ask you the first question here. What do you mean by multiplication? Let's let's start off with that. Okay, the, the two terms you need to know, guys, are addition and multiplication. So addition would be like I plant a church and I say, oh, it's a hub, and I just plant another church, and I kind of dust my hands off and say, done, you know, I planted a church. Well, that's addition. That's just me saying, hey, I want to plant a church, and so one plus one equals two. Now I have two church plants. Multiplication is where I've got hardwired into my DNA um, literally a reproducing movement to where it can grow rapidly beyond myself. And uh, basically, like, let's say I, I empower. It, it more is focused on people rather than the church plant. I'm empowering people, and I'm getting people empowered. I'm basically reproducing myself. And so I'm, I'm making little me's. If I'm a church planner, I'm making other church planners. If I'm more apostolic, I'm a guy who plants out, then I am going to make guys who plant out, if that makes any kind of sense. So uh, multiplication would be instead of me planting an apple tree, um, that's, that's addition, one tree plants another tree, um, I plant an orchard. And so I plant multiple churches that themselves plant multiple churches. So to use an illustration, there was a Welsh guy named Rhys Pegleg. Um, he, it was said, you know, he led one guy to Christ. Uh, so he had a, a, a one child, but he had a thousand grandchildren, right? Because the guy he led to Christ led thousands to the Lord. But in a church planting multiplication movement, you're planting multiple churches that are going to literally plant multiple churches, and you lose track, and it becomes a church planting movement or part of a multiplication movement. It's not a pyramid selling scheme. In fact, uh, pyramid selling is very much a method. Once you kind of empower a person and release them, you put them in the hands of the Holy Spirit. And I, I can tell stories about guys that are just hardwired for this. We've got a guy named Ruben, who is um, one of our church planners. Um, he's now leading the team in San Pedro. Like me, he's the guy that plants and moves on. I've moved on from the hub in, in Long Beach. I'm now concentrating my efforts down in San Diego County. Um, we're still planning up in L.A., but again, I can take my hands off the steering wheel, and that continues to happen because the guys that are there are going to keep planning. Well, Ruben is an electrician. He's an ex-con. He got saved in the back of a cop car. It was the first time he cried out to God. Um, he largely got discipled in prison. And when he got out, he came to one of our New Breed Church Planning Conferences. I caught him the day after he got out of prison. He was roaming the hallways of a church, and I said, hey, man, what are you doing tomorrow? And he goes, I'm just trying to keep busy, man, so I don't go back to jail. And Ruben started training an apprenticeship program as an electrician. And as he got, uh, you know, on, on, he'd go out to like Chino or he'd be out in some place, you know, way out in the back of beyonds. And he said, oh, I got a cousin out there. He's a Hispanic guy. He's got a really big family. He's like, I got a cousin out there. So I looked him up, and I started sharing the gospel with him. And he would meet in the living room with, with his cousin and her boyfriend, 
and within maybe a month or two months, they'd have 25, 30 people there. And, you know, he would ask me, this is early on, we were planning Long Beach, uh, just because I was empowering him and equipping him. He, he would come to me with the problem like, hey, this is the second one um, that I've done. What do I do with all these people? Because I'm, I'm moving off that job now. I'm not going to be there. And so, you know, he would take 25, 30 people to an existing uh, church. And he would, um, <laughs> he, these were churches starting up, but he would, you know, he didn't know what to do next. So he just let him in to another church. We got some Ooh. questions coming in. We got a lot of questions coming in. So, um, aren't you guys listening to me? You're just asking me questions. What's up with that? <laughs> <laughs> so let me see here. We've got. Um, let's start with Steve here. What's the overall structure you work with, and what role would a church planning center have in relation to hubs? Yeah. Okay. So. Um, well, you know, I'm wondering, Pete, if I should wait and kind of uh, share. I'm, I'm going to answer that question. In a All right. Well, while. if we're going to answer that one, we'll answer that one later. Yeah, yeah, because I'm, I'm worried it might be putting the cart before the horse to answer that one right now. You know, a couple of these are really, well, these are all really good. So let's let's do that then. We'll go ahead and save these for um, a little bit later after we've gotten through more of the material. I see that Joshua's quoted uh, Neil Cole. And David Garrison, I've got quotes from both of these guys, um, so we're we're thinking along the same track. These are guys. By the way, there's there there are some uh, some books. Um, there's T4T. There's what Jesus started. Uh, movements that changed the world. Viral churches. Um, these are all books. If if you're writing them down, you know, or you're freaking out now, because I'm, we'll mention them again. But uh, I do want to mention uh, from Neil Cole, this is what he said. I'm going to read this. This is from a book called Search and Rescue. He says, I am no mathematician. My high school math teacher would chuckle at the thought that I'd have anything good to contribute to a conversation about math. But maybe it takes simple-minded, mathematically challenged individuals to help us see the obvious. Basic math is made up of four different processes involving numbers. Addition, subtraction, multiplication, and division. In the sequence of positive numbers... Addition and multiplication gain a numerical sum while subtraction and division reduce. Subtraction and division, sadly, are probably the norm in many churches in America right now. But when it comes to the kingdom of God, we want to increase, not decrease. So addition and multiplication are more preferable. Multiplication is a popular topic in missions in the church today. But unfortunately, when you look more closely, much of what people call multiplying is really just addition. When a church starts a small group or adds a small group, it's often called multiplying. When another worship service is added on a Sunday morning, it's called church multiplication, but it's only addition. Adding a venue for worship in your church or a satellite campus is not multiplying a church. It is merely adding. I am not against addition, but let's not call addition multiplication. The thing about basic math is that it, it is a world of absolutes. There's one right answer and an infinite number of Wrong answers to every equation. But if the processes are mixed up, the solutions are way off. In Christendom today, we have poor math, math skills, and our bottom line is wrong in the end because of it. Imagine what would happen in life if you got two processes mixed up. What would happen if NASA engineers added when they should have multiplied? What if Wall Street mixed things up and multiplied when they should have only added? The result would be problematic, at best, disastrous, at worst. So why do we confuse this when it comes to reaching the world for Christ. 
He says if you merely add another 2 to 4, the sum is 6, but if you multiply 2, you get 8, 16, and now you know you are multiplying. And I thought that was a really great uh, kind of summary of what we're talking about. And he just uses a um, uh, an illustration. He says, uh, this is from a guy named Christopher Schalk. Uh, Imagine a water lily grown on a pond with a surface of 14,000 square feet. The leaf of this species of water lily has a surface of 15.5 square inches. At the beginning of the year, the water lily has exactly one leaf. Okay, so picture a pond. Uh, 15.5 square inches is this one water lily, and 14,000 square feet it's got to cover. After one week, there are two leaves. A week four, or a week later, there are four. After 16 weeks, half of the water surface is covered with leaves. The authors then ask, how long will it take until the second half of the pond will also be covered? Another 16 weeks? No. It will take just a single week, and the pond will be completely covered. And that's because half of that pond is producing. And so the growth is much more rapid. And so that's what happens. That's what we want to see uh, with, um, with church. We want to see it multiplying. So, you know, I'm just going to bring up this question that I've got because I think I understand now um, a little bit more about something you and I talked about yesterday because people were, uh, were saying, oh, is this going to be all about, you know, the pyramid when it comes to church multiplication? I didn't understand that. You know, I'm like, what do they mean by pyramid? So... What you're referring to, like when you say, you know, you empower guys and you send them out, you're not talking about building up necessarily, you know, more and more. I don't, I don't even know how to put this, but more and more satellite churches of, you know, the mothership, so to speak, where um, some people, I could see how they could see that as, you know, almost like, you know, pyramid building of, hey, you know, we've got the mothership and then all these satellites. But you're saying you know, raising up guys to actually send them out and do their church, their own church, where it might look different, maybe because of who they're trying to reach, it might be structured different, um, but basically connected only in the sense that you've trained them up. Um, you, you know that, that they're a gospel church, so to speak, but they're their own They're their own thing. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Absolutely. You know, it, it's interesting because what we're saying is when you plant your first church, you need to be thinking about the guys in front of you as church planters. You need to think about every single person in front of you as a potential church planter. And, and the old saying is true that we teach what we know, but we reproduce what we are. It's important that churches model this. Um, if you're not modeling reproduction to your disciples, then they won't do what you're doing. So many uh, churches are self-absorbent. They don't um, they don't think beyond themselves. And so, how are you going to get a church full of people to think beyond themselves unless you, as the leader of that church, are modeling that? If they see you building your own personal empire, uh, the church, it's like your life work. They're going to turn to their area of life and they'll focus on building their own personal empire because that is what the church has modeled. But if a church can sacrifice of itself, if a church can look at the bigger picture and say, look, we could keep all the goodies, keep all the resources here, but what, what has happened here, what the Holy Spirit has done here, is so awesome that rather than having a church of a thousand, why don't we have ten churches of a hundred? Why don't we make that our game plan, that we reproduce, and, and we hardwire into the DNA that they reproduce? So when you come to New Breed Church Planning, um, one of the things that, that is a distinctive for us, that before you sign your name to that paper, you have to say 
that you will plant out. Like that, that's something you agree to do. And um, so, you know, that that's kind of the deal. So you've got to model this. And so as you're doing that, the people that you're naturally discipling and training up are going to be thinking, man, we want to do what was done here. I tell everyone that I plant with, you have the benefit of watching this thing from the ground up. It's not rocket science. You know, you'll be able to take it and uh, and do it. So, um, so, so many of the interns that I see in, in, in mega churches, I, if you think of some of you guys on here, you're obviously, you probably are interns and you've been um, working and doing church chores and uh, there's nothing for you to do. Like, in fact, there's no place for you to go up. You ever notice that? Like, you're, you're an intern, but that guy's not going to get out of the way for you to, to, to actually do real ministry. You're, you're trying to change the world behind a desk. You're doing church chores. You're a pencil, pencil pusher for Jesus. And it's just not what you go into ministry for. And I'm always telling mega church pastors, hey, you have interns? Give them to me because I know you don't know what to do with them. You're, you're going like, to tell them to go put an app out and take an existing church. Throw them, throw them at me. I've got a space for them now. I've got a community in Stanton, or we're going to replant in Long Beach. I know exactly where to put them. Or we're in North County, San Diego. When I was in Wales, hey, there's this city over there. They need a gospel witness. And, uh, and, and that's how it works, you know. Um, but I always tell them, hey, man, ship them to me, and we'll use them. And, and, and I just can't imagine Paul walking in and seeing an intern uh, in our average church and going, yeah, hey, well done, man. You know, that's what, you know, that's what it's all about, man. You know? Yep. Cool. So, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm noticing these questions coming in. Um, what is the D and A of churches that you're multiplying? What are the churches about worship classes, small groups, serving the nursery? What are your churches about? That's a great question, Aaron. I, you know, I, I think the, the obvious answer for me is the Great Commission. Um, and, and it depends on what you think the Great Commission is all about. I mean, he told us to preach the gospel. Uh, so that's reaching the lost and make disciples. So in other words, you're preaching the gospel and you're making disciples who reproduce that and preach the gospel, go to the ends of the earth. And so that's my DNA. Um, I, I'm very radical when it comes to what I think church is. I'm of the belief, that, and I don't pay lip service to it, that the church is here literally to um, to reach lost people. And uh, and that's it, man. Like, we're here to reach lost people. And as we focus on the gospel in us, and it overflows out of us, um, we're best served. And I, I, I know some people are like, well, what about discipleship? Well, look. The missing ingredient in most Christians' life is mission. Uh, the average Christian is bored because um, they're at church, and it's like a country club, and they just don't get it. They're like, man, especially young people, they're like, what's this about, man? I don't get it. I noticed back when I was a youth pastor, if I asked people to read their Bible, pray, give their money, um, be concerned about missions, boom, they just didn't get it, you know, And because they were an audience. But when I put them in mission, um, they got it. Suddenly, I didn't have to tell them to, to read, pray, because they weren't an audience anymore. They were now active participants. And so when I plan a church, I go into a difficult area. Uh, comes from having been in a country for 12 years that 1.6% of its population Christian. And uh, and that was it, man. I, I literally, uh, I go into difficult areas. You only stay in a church that we're planting 
if you want to reach the lost because it won't have all the fancy programs. Um, it'll probably freak you out. Uh, Sunday school is a little bit dangerous, and uh, you know you got the cross-dressing prostitute coming. Um, so that's it, man. One step before hell. We deal with a lot of deaths, a lot of ODs. Half my leadership are ex-cons, and uh, it's 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 just the DNA, man. It's it's how you reach people that need reaching. I noticed Aaron says discipleship and mission are equal to me. Me too. I'm sure you picked up on that. <laughs> Cool. All right. So, um, what is a church multiplication movement? And I like my role in the webinar. All I got to do is ask the question. That's cool. Whoa, you can you can answer this. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the question. What is a church multiplication movement? Go. Okay. Well, this is from uh, Ed Stetzer and Warren Bird. This is their definition. A church multiplication movement is a rapid reproduction of churches, planting churches measured by a reproduction rate of 50% through the third generation of churches, with new churches having 50% new converts. So one of the questions, I belong to a group that's kind of like a um, content review group uh, of a bunch of guys I respect. And one of the things that came up yesterday is they're like, well, what? Uh, what percentage of transfer growth do you allow into a church plant? I'm kind of radical on this. I have a no Christians allowed rule unless you start off with our core team. And unless you either live in the neighborhood or you're moving to the neighborhood, um, then I lessen it a bit. And that goes up and down because sometimes when you're reaching lost people, uh, you need more hands on deck. And so if I do have someone come, I vet them. But the key is that you're seeing people uh, they're a convert. So here's the deal. Um, when uh, I see a parking lot suddenly, like we were in Orange County uh, church plant. We were predominantly a white uh, parachute jump into a black and Hispanic area with, with refuge in Long Beach. And I can remember the day I came to the parking lot, and I'm like, oh, no one's here, which is typical. For those of you church planters, that, that can be something you're always looking at the parking lot going, dang. But the reality was um, I, I rounded the corner where we meet. There's tons of people, um, but they had been walking. They just walked in from the neighborhood. And I remember that was kind of, to me, an indicator that, okay, this, this is the Lord at work here because um, we're losing our Orange County white people and we're gaining the Hispanic and black community that are walking in uh, from the neighborhood, from the street. And so I, I think that's what you're looking at, is you're looking at conversions. You're looking at the number of people that are coming in that you know for a fact they would not have been there worshiping God if you had not shown up. Hmm. So, you know, and Pete, don't feel you got to ask me questions because, Pete, I know your gears are turning as uh, you're thinking about Long Beach, and we can, of course, refer to that. It's just, it's just what you and I know, but... Uh, you know, gosh, man, if I'm on here with a Welsh guy, we talk about the other stuff. Maybe some of you guys, you, you, you've noticed this. But here's the need. Um, the seating capacity in, uh, you know, in, in American Protestant churches, here's the deal. Uh, the average seating of each church is 240 uh, people. That, that That's how much the average church in America can actually see. So multiply that by 300,000 churches, right? That would give you 72 million seats available. And let's say that each of those uh, churches, those 300,000 churches, run three services. I should have put a slide up on this. Um, 
That means that you've got a total seating capacity now. Uh, you've, you've multiplied 72 million seats by three for three services. You've now got 216 uh, million um, seating capacity every Sunday morning. Um, now, the population of America is 310 million. So you're almost 100 million under. That was if we filled all those churches, ran three services. Um, we're still 100 million if we were going to reach 100% of the population. So we are minus uh, 216 million seating capacity. That leaves 94 million people to be turned away if all of our churches were full and running three services. That's just a mind-blowing statistic right there. So, yeah, because our churches are not full and they're not running three services a week. Yeah, yeah. So uh, as, as I'm looking at there's like a whole side conversation going um, in, in here about apartment life. That's an awesome uh, uh, movement. And, you know, I want to talk a little bit about these different models because um, some people, and we'll get to this eventually, someone asked, what was your model? The, uh, the model... Uh, is it's going to change. And for me, I'm kind of like the Malcolm X philosophy of church land by any means necessary. And by that, I don't mean I get violent, but, um, you know, we, we're in a time and age where it's not about me building my thing, right? Um, you can hear pastors, they, they stand around, they talk kind of like it's, you know, men in a locker room looking at their naughty bits, right? Like, hey, check out my, hey, you know, look at the size. Eyes of you know my mega church, or look at you know, and maybe another guy pops up to the guy uh, who's talking about thousands of people at his mega church, and he goes, well, you know, because he doesn't have that big of a church, but he's planted maybe four churches, and he's like, hey, you know, I planted four churches, we have eight satellites, and another guy goes, oh yeah, we have uh, thirty missionaries, twelve satellites, and we planted X amount of churches, X amount of years, and it can actually end up being, um, you know, kind of a uh, a, a way that guys are kind of ego bumping, right? There's there's a bit of ministerial chest bumping. It's not about that, right? If it's about anything other than the gospel, then you're blowing it. When my, when one of my buddies asked me, he goes, hey, how biblical is this model? Sounds like a pyramid scheme model. Leaves one feeling like a failure when it does fail. 70% of church plants fail. He says, I've seen variations of multiplication models introduced uh, to churches for the purpose of evangelism. How is this different? How do you determine success or failure of this model? And this is what I wrote. Um, I think what this addresses is kingdom expansion, right? Um, Paul planted every three to four months. When you do the math, and it's absolutely unmistakable from reading the epistles, he did it with a network of trained up individuals that he trained, right? And he trained them on the road. The key is discipling people. So again, what, what Brad said earlier about, hey, I think, uh, evangelism and discipleship go together. I agree. Do you, you really disciple people on mission? That's where people really get discipled. So like when they, they turn up, you know, for teaching one day, the 72, and they're like sitting at Jesus' feet like, teach us, teacher. Disciple us. And he goes, right, go into all the cities of Judea. Um, I'm, I'm of the opinion that you cannot disciple people unless they're on mission. And so church plants become the massive mega tool for equipping people and discipling people, um, so I'm I'm always you know I'm always beating on that drum all the time. We're with uh, Hugh Halter 
uh, a couple days ago, and um, he was saying, you know, when you get to the heavenly gates, uh, God's not going to ask you, like, so, what'd you do? You know, and you, and you look at him, and you're like, hey, uh, you know, God, did you see how big I made that church? Um, you know, I took it from, like, 100, and I turned it into 5,000. And, he's, you know, he was just saying how Jesus is going to be like, nice, that's cute. Um, well, Lord, did you see how many churches I planted? Um, he'd be like, well, you know, uh, that's cool, but I didn't ask you to do that. Um, what I actually asked you to do was to preach a gospel and make disciples. And so that's what we're talking about. We're not talking about anything that is going beyond what's written. Um, we're not asking uh, people to sign on to some kind of sen- uh, some trend. Um, there's Trinity Topics. Uh, everyone's talking about discipleship right now. That is the Trinity topic. But these things are connected. And so when you focus on evangelism and discipleship, Jesus says, I'll build my church. Boom. Cool. So um, what about discipleship, though? How does that you know, get worked into the, uh, the church plant, to the, um, you know, the movement, to the just being on mission? Yeah, you know, I think if uh, if you guys have your Bibles, um, it's good to crack the Bible every once in a while, guys. Um, it's not very popular. <laughs> you go to a conference, hardly anyone cracks the Bible. But uh, we got to talk about the Bible for a second here. Um, when you're talking about this, you, you need to understand that um, Paul Paul was the guy, man. He was like, he was a, a, a basically a... Um, he was a church planning master, right? He says, I laid a foundation like a wise and expert builder. Um, check this out. Second uh, Timothy chapter 2. You then, my child, be strengthened in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. That right there is a church planning goldmine. Everything you do ought to be based on the grace of God. That's another topic for another day. But... Uh, this now. This is church multiplication. Second Timothy chapter two two. This is the church multiplication verse. He says, "What you have heard from me, in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also." So, here's the deal. Um, what what Paul is doing is he's made something simple and reproducible. Right? He's not like, "Hey guys, we got to multiply as many campuses as we can." Uh, blah, 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 blah. No, he's multiplying people here. And, of course, when you multiply people, like we were talking about the interns, they need something to do. They need a place to go, and that they're going to find it. So um, if they can't go upwards, they need to go outwards. That's, that's what multiplication is. First multiplication movement came out of Jerusalem because the Apostle Paul was a church planner before he knew it, right? He opens up a can of persecution up on the church, and uh, he basically gives them the smackdown, and it spreads them out, right? So uh, when when Paul says, what you've heard from me, that's first generation. Paul is first generation church planter. He's been in Antioch for a year. And so we're going to see four generations in this passage. Um, if you are paying attention to, to what we're saying here, there's four, four generations. Number one, what you've heard from me, first generation, that's Paul. He's the planter. In the presence of many others, that's second generation because Timothy was a part of those guys. He's saying, you heard it in the presence of others. Um, so Paul was standing in a crowd, uh, Timothy was standing in a crowd at one point, and Paul's saying, hey, you were standing with those guys. You heard it together. 
Now, third generation, I want you to entrust that to faithful men. So this is the next. Now, Timothy is on the road, on the mission field, and he is going to a third group of people. That is third generation. And then Paul says, who are able to teach others also. That is fourth generation. So that is the multiplication uh, movement right there um, that Paul has hardwired into that verse. Paul's not thinking just my church plant right now. Paul's hardwired it in from the beginning. And I remember we had a businessman in uh, uh, the church planning hub in Refuge. And from day one, I told the church, this is one of the things you can do. You sow the vision from day one. This church won't always be here um, in the way that you know it. We are going to uh, you know, be pouring out uh, of this church. We're going to sometimes take our best guys and we're going to send them out. Imagine that Jerusalem sent Peter, it sent John, James stayed, but it sent two of their best guys out. And then Paul's your church planner. He plants in anti or uh, he plants anywhere he goes, and including Antioch, sends out Paul and Barnabas. Those are their two best guys, and they plan them out. Um, that's what you're looking at. You're looking at taking sometimes your best guys, and I tell my church, expect this. Because this is what's going to happen. We are literally going to, uh, you're going to have to make sacrifices as a church. You're going to lose some of the people you've, you've grown close to, the leaders you've gotten the most from. But what was good here needs to go somewhere else too. And then you guys become, to the next generation, uh, what we were to you. I mean, that's really up in the ante, right? Jesus was a lever. <laughs> he tell me, was a lever. Bye, you know. Men of Israel, why do you stand looking up? You know, get busy. You know, get busy doing it now. Reach the world for Jesus. Um, you've got the gospel. You've got the power of the resurrection. Don't stand dwelling on the ascension. Get busy. Get to work. Wait for the Holy Spirit's empowering and go. So they get on their faces before God and they cry out because they don't feel up to the task. There needs to be that, that tension. I think any of you that have church planned the first time, you don't feel up to the task. First time you stood in a pulpit preaching, you weren't up to the task. First time you shared the gospel with someone, you weren't up to the task. And so we've always got to be calling and discipling people into this role where they're not up to the task, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So just, yeah, sorry, go ahead, Pete. No, going? no, I dig it. So can you give a couple of examples, Paul says, of how 2 Timothy chapter 2, 2 breaks down practically um, in planting churches? Uh, yeah, that, that's important. The Welsh guy just told me to, to slow down and not talk so fast. <laughs> so here, here's the deal. Yes, um, if I were a church planter, let's see. Let, let's just take Reuben. I mentioned Reuben earlier. Let's take Reuben. I take Reuben, and I right away, I start training. Um, this is the last thing I was going to talk about, but uh, I suppose I could talk about it now. Um, let, let's say I take Reuben and Mike and Jimbo and uh, Charlie, and these are going to be my, my church planners in the future. And this is how it worked out in Long Beach. And, and I would take people, by the way. I would, I would tell them, if you come with me, I'll, I'll train you to plant your own church. And that's what Paul did, right? So Paul, just think of it now. He leads Timothy to faith and um, uh, on his first missionary journey. 
So in, in Lister and Derby, Iconium, around that area. Um, and Paul goes uh, uh, throughout the region, and he comes back on a second journey. Now, a second journey, he's left elders in place, and they have grown to a level of maturity together as a family, all, all brand new Christians. That, now, that's something to think about. Um, usually when the Holy Spirit's on the move, uh, Paul spent three to four months uh, in each church plant. If you look at the time it took to travel, if you look at the fact that Paul only had 11 years before he's beheaded, between his uh, the time that Barnabas knocked on his door in Tarsus and said, hey, come over to Antioch, I need help. Um, he had 11 years to plant uh, anywhere from 13 to 23 churches, is what scholars say. Um, some of them are debatable, what role he had. Um, we know that he directly planted um, 12 to 13. Uh, he indirectly or maybe directly planted about 10 more that we have evidence for. So in order to, to just take that, he had to move rather quickly because, you know, he came back to Jerusalem, he did a lot of other traveling, and he only had three missionary journeys that are recorded. So on his second missionary journey, he comes back, and during that, that year that's intervened, um, between his first and second er, second missionary journey, uh, Timothy's been growing in the faith. And Paul comes back through and he, he sees Timothy, and Timothy's got Jewish roots and Gentile roots, and Paul's like, I can use that. Because he's known the Scripture from his youth, so he knows the Scripture really well, but he's also a Gentile, at least half a one. And so he says, look, I need to take you. He's not circumcised. He says, I need to take you. I need to use you. During the intervening year of my first and second missionary journey, I had this problem with the Galatians. And I really need to make the focus of my ministry uh, to be getting away from circumcision. I really need you. We need to go to the uncircumcised. That's what I'm called to. And so I, I just always picture Paul looking at Timothy and saying, hey, Timothy, you, you want to go on an adventure? Come with me. And Timothy's like, Okay, you know, and, 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 and so he takes him. Now, remember on his first missionary journey, John Mark and Barnabas were there. Uh, Barnabas, uh, his nephews, John Mark. John Mark takes off. He turns back. So Paul's, Paul's being very selective now in who he can train. Just so you guys know, you know this. You cannot disciple everybody equally in your church plan. You can't. And so you've got to be selective. And I think Paul was looking at Timothy like, he was, he was careful. He's a little bit more seasoned now. He knew the guys that would make it and the guys that wouldn't, right? The guys who were just flashing the pan and the guys that were like, hey, I can endure hardship like a good soldier. Um, I, I, I work uh, occasionally with a guy named Don Overstreet. Uh, he's part of the Southern Baptists. Uh, he's the catalyst for LA. He's been directly and indirectly involved in 500 church plants over 50 years. And I love Don because he... Uh, when we first met, we you know we we chatted about it, and he said, "I knew from from day one you you were like an apostolic church planner. You just would move around. Apostolic meaning a guy on the move, and not not Pope Pat and denominational, but a guy who's mobile." And he said, "I just I can look at a at a guy now who tells me I want to plant a church, and I can just tell you're you're not going to make it." And so, you know, so, so going back to Paul's question, 2 Timothy 2.2. So Paul takes Timothy and he trains him 
on the road. And so maybe during the second generation is he's taking him now as he makes a swing back through Asia Minor on his second missionary journey and then into Asia. He's now got Timothy, and Timothy's with him now, going to all these, in the presence of many witnesses. He's preaching it, preaching it. And so he's discipling him on mission as they go. And so very practically, um, I, I, I want to I come down to say that when you're training a guy, you got to take him with you. Um, as you're discipling others, that guy needs to be with you watching you disciple other people. And so then on the third uh, on the third example, he's sending him out. So when he says, find other men, this is the next, he sent him out. So I send guys out. So Ruben, for example, is in San Pedro, and I am still on the team in Long Beach. Um, I only travel there once a month. I've just done three weeks in a row because part of the team was gone and, and there was a gap. But uh, but yeah, you, you basically I'm still there. I'm like his training wheels. So he's the first time doing it. But I'm like Paul. I'm writing him letters. We have a Tuesday afternoon conference every week where we chat, and I am involved with this Facebook group. I watch what he does. I mentor him. I coach him. I tell him, oh, that was awesome what you did there. We debrief. We forward plan. Um, we strategize together, and I'm there for him. Um, so he's not completely in a, alone. He can bounce really stupid ideas, crazy ideas, crazy ideas that will work off me, um, crazy ideas that should not be attempted because they're they're not crazy, they're stupid, and that's how it works. And so, but but the the fourth generation, I'll be completely uh, gone. I, I won't even be there anymore. So when he says, uh, you know, entrust now to other men who are able to entrust to others. Reuben will then be in the role that I am to him in that role to others. But I'll still be there too. I'll be like a grandpa, you know. I'll, I'll be around. I'll, I'll visit that church occasionally. Um, but, but that's where Paul writes Thessalonica, and he says, hey, the gospel through you has gone out into all the region, right? He writes that to them, um, that they've seen your sincerity of faith, you know, your your, uh, your zeal, your this, so much so that the gospel's gone to all the region. If you really pay attention, um, you'll notice that so many of the churches that Paul writes to, he writes to the churches in that region, the churches that are in Galatia, um, the Corinthian churches, not just the church that's in Corinth, but it's the surrounding areas. Um, the, the churches uh, that are in the dispersion, James writes to. So so many of these churches, um, it wasn't one. To the churches that are in Rome, um, Paul wasn't writing to one church. He was writing to multiple churches. There was a church planting movement that was going on. It wasn't just, hey, we're in this city. You know, I, I was part of a denomination years ago that uh, that's how it was. Uh, there was a brand name. Uh, you were the brand name of that city. And if another guy, you know, some young upstart came and said, well, you know, that, that city has a lot of people. There's like a million people in this city. Um, are you sure you want to stand before God and give an, an account for all those souls? Uh, you know, you kept people out. Hey, we're here. You know, don't bring the brand here. Um, that's, that's creepy, right? That's empire building. Um, a, a, a church planter wants to, what he sees is there's lost people there they need to be reached. I'm only one dude. My biggest frustration as a church planner is I have but one life to live. I have a body, 
right? I'm incarnational. I'm limited. Incarnational is not cool to me. Incarnational is uncool to me because it means I, I want to reproduce. So out of my frustration, I reproduce myself so the work goes beyond me because I inhabit a physical body and I need the work to go faster and further than I can personally take it. want to uh, read to you really quickly um, about a guy named uh, Irby who uh, was a, a, a planner. Um, his name's actually Gary Irby. Um, he's a Southern Baptist up in Seattle. And it, I'll read to you from Viral Churches. It says, as a young minister in Washington State, Irby had served a church that was growing, albeit slowly. He had become uh, frustrated with himself and with God. He said he prayed and did the things he needed to grow the church, but it just wasn't happening. So some of you guys are going to hit a, a like a wall, and you're going to be knocking your brains out to try to make your church big. And and what I love is in Church Planner Magazine, we, we had a, uh, a an article by a guy named Carl uh, Vaders who said, or Vaders, however you pronounce it, um, who said, uh, is your church stuck or is it just small? A lot of guys think their church is stuck. And some churches, God just wants them to be small. But rather than spending all your time and energy trying to make your small church big, why not spend your energy trying to plant out from yourself, right? Um, because what I've always found with smaller churches is when they plan out, uh, the, if they carve 20 people away from a group of 80, 20 more people come in. In fact, often that is the missional uh, impetus, kind of the, the almost like kick-starting the bike that, that gets the motor humming for mission, and that church starts to change. But rather than trying to be big, just keep going out. And God just, it creates a vacuum. And and the Holy Spirit fills it. I, I don't know what the science is of that. The Holy Spirit's like the wind. Can't figure him out. Wish I could sell you a system. But he hasn't packaged himself. He, he won't let me sell him like water. Uh, I can't bottle him up. You know, it's not, it's not like Holy Spirit sparklets. He just, he does this. And part of your journey as a church planner is learning to walk with him. And allow him to disciple you in this. Because sometimes we got our eyes on the total wrong things. And sometimes the Holy Spirit's just like, hey, knucklehead, you're looking in the wrong area. I'm trying to do this in your community. And you won't stop looking at like Mark Driscoll or Chuck Smith or whoever it was and whatever they did. Because you think you got to be them. And I'm totally trying to do something uh, totally different. And so anyways, going back to, to Gary Irby, Southern Baptist up in Seattle, God said to me very clearly, uh, the clearest I've ever heard him, Gary, you've been adding. It's time to start multiplying. In other words, what God meant was that it was my turn to get involved in church planning. And then uh, Stetzer and Bird write, Irby has done just that. During his 20 years as a church planner, 11 of them in Seattle, Irby has been answering God's call to multiply. He's trained other church planners to do that as well. A new church planner needs to start with the next one or two planters already on his team. So that's it, man. That It's that simple. You just pick the couple guys with you and you train them to plan out. You don't use them like a pastor uses interns to build your personal empire. You invest in them. And I always tell guys that train with me in New Breed, I always say, look, I'm not going to use you. I promise you I won't use you. But don't use me. Right? Don't use me as a stepping stone to get where you're going. Uh, this is relational. This is friendship. But 
I'm not going to use you. Don't use me, right? We're in this for the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God has to trump all of our personal agendas. But I don't have one. I'm not, like, using them to build my thing. And so I ask them, invest while you're here with all your heart. Don't use me. Because you can tell when a guy's using a church plant to get where he's going. Um, he's a hireling. And so I just tell him, just serve Jesus here, man. And when you're done, uh, boom, go on. And uh, one of the questions coming through from Paul right now is, uh, would these be Bivo guys? Yes. Um, they don't have to be, but um, yes. Uh, the, I love what Hugh Halter said in his book, Bivo. He says, I'm of the persuasion. He convinced me. I, I, it's how it's worked for me. I've always been Bivo, um, except for when I was on staff at a megachurch. I went backwards in my training. I started that way, and then I, I eventually... Uh, became a missionary, 9-11 hit, my support dropped in half, had to work in a factory. People started getting saved there. I was like, hey, this is cool, right? But I love what Hugh Halter said. He said, you should not be paid full-time to do ministry unless you are reproducing yourself. That's the only reason anyone ought to be paying you to do what you do, is to be set apart as a disciple to make disciples. I hope that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Irby went on to say, when there are four or five church plants, I could spend significant time with each planner and his family, even playing the role of the occasional babysitter so the planning couple could have a date night. As we've grown to over 80 new churches in our region, assisted the planning of many more churches throughout the Northwest, and helped develop networks in many more partners of North America, that level of intimacy with each church planning family is impossible to obtain. So the, with a church planning movement, they lose control. And they lose the ability to, um, it's like a general, right? He, he can't interact with every single soldier. He cares for every soldier, but he can't interact, right? Um, and it's not hierarchical. Please don't misunderstand me on that. But listen to what he says. In order to grow to the next level, I must invest more and more time in those who invest in others, who invest in the individual church planners, and not as much in each church planner directly. For a highly relational grace giver such as myself, that is a difficult but necessary task. I just think you have to um, you can uh, you have to let go at a certain point. Um, I see Paul letting go. He checks back in with him, but can you imagine Paul like the amount of faith it took when he says like you know I was like your mother, I birthed you. He has to leave his baby. You know they're like three four months old. Um, Thessalonica. Two weeks, he has to leave them. Uh, two, two, two Sabbaths are recorded in the book of Acts until the, the circumcision group drives him on in the next town, and he has to leave his guys behind. Paul is persona non grati. He cannot stay in Thessalonica. There's a riot that started, and so he's in the next town over, and his boys are uh, taking it. Um, so, you know, they're they're, you know kicking butt and taking names, so much so that they become a reproduce, uh, reproducing church plant, if that makes sense. And I saw a question. I want to just go back to it. Um, let's see. Uh, could you please go back and hit on a few points concerning the hub startup days, especially related to the core team? Okay, great question, Philip. Um, when you're planning a hub, you have to sow into the vision that you were going to be a church planting church. I don't know how to tell you that is so healthy for churches um, to uh, to get that, 
to understand that the DNA is a church planting church. Um, so I constantly tell them, Pete, do you remember some of the crazy stuff? Because Pete, you were there in the very beginning, right? Back when we were kind of in the incubator and the manual. And uh, do you remember all the crazy stuff I was saying back then? I don't remember the crazy stuff that you were saying because I didn't really think it was all that crazy, but I remember Charlie was freaking out at the stuff you were saying. Yeah, Charlie was like my seatbelt. You know, he'd kind of be like, "Hey, slow down, Turbo," because I was telling them all like, "Hey, you know, some of you should, you guys should all go to other churches, you know, because this is going to be a bumpy ride. You're going to see uh, heroin addicts thrown up in the middle of the service. You're going to because they're withdrawing." And we've we haven't had them barfing. I've I've had that before, but um, we've had guys laying down. I remember one we've guy had oh. totally drunk people standing up next to the guy preaching. Yeah, <laughs> we once had someone rush the pulpit. But uh, you know, it, it's it's been crazy, man. And and I tell people, look, this is not for the faint of heart. Um, and I would give them vision. I would constantly tell them what they're going to see. Now, I'm I'm a word based guy. Um, I was raised in Calvary Chapel, but I hit the mission field. And missionaries have the best stories because they're taken out of their comfort zone. Well, the cool thing about being taken out of your comfort zone is you need the comforter to turn up, right? Um, he doesn't comfort the comfortable. So when you go out front line on the mission field, you tend to see uh, Holy Spirit stuff, supernatural. So I could go with full confidence. I came into Long Beach and I'm like, hey, uh, by the way... Uh, you guys are going to see, you're not just going to read about the book of Acts. You're going to be in the book of Acts. You're going to actually live this stuff. You can read about it, you can live it. I promise you, if you stay with us, you're going to see the supernatural. Uh, you it just, you can't help it. You're going to see this stuff. So I would sow the vision and freak some people out and they'd leave. Others would be like, yeah, I'm bored, man, as a Christian. And I need to see uh, that. So, but I would tell them too, I'd threaten them, um, Paul, where, or excuse me, uh, I remember who it was now. Yeah, I'm confusing all you guys. But uh, I would say things like, but some of you are going to be going, and some of you are going to be leading. Now, one of the things that I do, uh, if you read Church Zero, cha-ching! I think that's the first time I mention it. Um, it's a book I wrote with David C. Cook. Our rule is you have to say cha-ching. One of the things I mentioned there is our church in Europe was interactive. So we start out of a Starbucks, and I learned a secret to reaching lost people, that if church is interactive, um, non-believers have a chance to really ask the stuff they're thinking. And when I looked at the New Testament, it was interactive. But anyways, going beyond that, I also learned that it disciples Christians. Because I can't be in every group, they got to take it. And once we laid down the ground rules, we started finding that people suddenly are leading people to Christ in their group. I did once pull a Jesus on people and send out the 72. Uh, I told them to, to come with Thanksgiving sandwiches the weekend after Thanksgiving, and I sent them out into this park that we are meeting at, and they led people to Christ. They came back crying. People uh, had seen things. They had never led someone to Jesus, and it was just cool, man. So uh, mission, part of discipling, but, uh, but yeah, man, I tell them from the beginning, and I tell them they're going to be busy. I will not let church be an audience. We don't sit in rows. We sit around tables. Um, we feed the community. Um, and when you're sitting around, everybody's involved. When you're, when you're in rows, people are watching the show. They're an audience. When people are uh, in circles, they got to participate. And the more I read the New Testament, the more I see it's an interactive sport. It's not a participatory sport. 
So uh, I lost where we are, man. I'm totally, Pete, I'm way off the grid. <laughs> yeah, but that's normal for you. It very much is. So let me hit, let me hit then on um, a couple of these questions here. Uh, let's see. What system or method do you use? That's an interesting question. Uh, so talking about models, I guess? Yeah. Well, let me, let me back up real quick because here's the deal. Um, for a model, again, a, the model is irrelevant. As long as you understand some of the, the key principles of church planning, at around 130 people, Rick Warren planted his first church. And I, you know, I know a lot of people are like, oh, he's the opposite of, you know, like a house church or missional church or whatever. He's actually not. If you study that dude um, pretty closely, he's planted a church every year from, uh, from year one. Um, and, oh, uh, Wayne, real quick. Are you suggesting that in church the lead pastor should not be paid a living wage or full-time salary? No. Paul, Paul gives you perfect uh, uh, um, justification for taking a wage, but you got to earn it, right? you got to earn it, man. Like, you got to reproduce yourself. you got to take it beyond you. It's not there to make you comfortable. It's not there uh, for you. It's there so you can empower and equip. But remember, Timothy, the whole reason of uh, Timothy He's writing him to equip the other generation, just to, to, to set a church upright. And Timothy wasn't going to stay there. Timothy was going to move on. Um, Paul had an interchangeable team of 34 uh, dudes that he talks about in the New Testament. And they're all moving around. So they're a mobile ministry. So um, that's what I would say um, you need to do, um, is you need to earn it. If you're going to take that paycheck, you need to reproduce yourself. And um, so, uh, so anyway, so uh, statistically, if you don't plan out within your first six years, you never will. That's what the statistics tell us. So from year one, I would do it. And the way that you do it is you use new believers, right? We all know that we should ride the coattails of new believers. New converts make new converts. So use them. Don't use them to lead the team, but put them on a new team. Let them from day one get the benefits of house church, the benefits of small groups, the benefits of discipleship. Um, so you don't uh, reproduce a bad church culture where people just sit in rows. So that right away, taking believers who don't have to relearn the, you know, the, the, from the bad way to the right way, but actually start off from day one. They get it, man. Uh, those of you that are in ministry most likely and you're discipling others, most likely uh, you were discipled by others. And so that's kind of a key deal. Um, when, when I see a new believer come to faith, I'm thinking automatically, like, mate, you have no idea what God's going to do. I'm automatically thinking, what church plant can I put this guy in? And Paul used new believers. Think of it this way. Three to four months in one area, planting a church in each church plant, he had to use new believers. Um, so when he came back a year later, um, they were new. And the way he did it was he worked in teams. So Jesus picked a team of 12. He collected them. As he came back through, he collected them, put them on teams. So not one guy 
had to be the guy fully developed. He used guys in teams. And of course, you see Ephesians 4, his model about different roles on those teams. You got an evangelistic guy. You got a guy who's really good at teaching. You got a guy who's a shepherd, um, who's really good at counseling people and discipling people. You got um, an apostolic guy, which means he's a nutcase like me. He's, he's just always thinking, let's go plant more, let's go plant more. And uh, then you got a prophetic guy. Um, we don't talk about him that much, but a prophetic guy is the guy who looks around and goes, hey, man, this stinks of man too much. Where's God? Where's the power? Um, are we praying for people to get healed? You know, is the Lord speaking into our service? Are we hearing the voice of God? Let's, let's cut the crap. Let's cut the red tape. And so that's how that goes. But um, remember, Jesus picked a team. He picked a team of 12 because he was going to replace himself. He didn't replace himself with one guy. He reproduced himself in 12. And those guys handled Jerusalem. And when the persecution came, they could send out a chunk of them. There was still plenty left. Some of you guys believe in a plurality of leadership. I guess we all do. Everyone believes there should be elders. It depends on what we think. For me personally, that's Ephesians 4. And uh, if you notice the 12 in Jerusalem, uh, their, their mission directive was to spread out. The first thing they do is they recruit seven more guys and train them up. And they say, wow, now we're 19. <laughs> you know, and some of those guys are not just like interns, right? Um, those seven guys are Stephen, the first martyr, Philip, the evangelist. Um, these are some, some power players, man. So they're training these guys. They start off serving, but you can tell these guys are like the future missionaries. These are the future apostles uh, getting sent out. And by the way, um, nine other people are called apostles, in, which shows us we're not talking the 12. Um, the 12 were the 12, right? That's why they're called the 12, so there's only 12 of them. But there was a role. There was a function of guys who traveled out, right? Some stay behind, some travel out. So you're training guys to either replace you when you leave or you're training guys to be the ones that you send. And uh, if you're using a Moses model where, like, there's one dude at the top of a pyramid, it's just not going to work, right? It, it didn't work in the first century church. It's not how they did it. They put teams of guys. Um, Titus, by the way, is the church planning book of the New Testament, and he tells them, go and appoint elders in every city on the Isle of Crete, and then come back to me. Can you imagine that? Every city in Southern California, it's yours. Or every city in the state of Louisiana, it's yours. Every city, you know, just giving shouts out for my, my boys in Louisiana, but every city needs uh, to have a team is what Paul's telling them. And so if you use a team approach and something happens, a guy gets caught up in a scandal or you're caught off the plant, the work doesn't implode because you've reproduced your DNA in a group of guys and that was what Jesus did. And that's, that's, that's the key, man. Does that make sense? It does. I dig it, man. I dig it. All right. Well, cool. Well, let me let me just keep talking a little bit more. How are we doing on time, Pete? Um, We're approaching we the end to... of this session, aren't we? Yeah, we got about seventeen more minutes before okay. we uh, talk about jump school. Let me right. let me um, let me just bring something up here real quick um, with. Something that you and I shared, we did a, a podcast on uh, Rick Warren. You and I had uh, dinner, and uh, we were sitting there with Rick Warren, and he just 
went off on a church planet. And and Rick Warren is, you know, one of the biggest church planters there is. You know, most yeah. most people think of him as this guy who's got this huge, you know, mega church, um, but his heart is totally church planning. And one of the ways that that they penetrate the community is by the use of small groups. Um, you know, you might even refer to them as house churches. In fact, he said, you know, real really, you could say he's got seven thousand churches because he's got seven thousand small groups that meet every week, and uh, more people attend the small groups than attend the the weekend services. And he was. Do you remember the story he he talked about where they they had a guy who had a church plant and it had like twenty people at it. And so he he did what Rick said, and Rick said, you know, on Sunday, ask people who will volunteer their home for a small group. And he had like 15 people volunteer to host a small group. And so, you know, Rick's like, well, what did you do? I mean, you only have 20 people, and you got 15 people hosting a small group. He goes, well, I made them all small group leaders, and, you know, 30 days later, our church was 75 people in size. Because they use those small groups to invite their non-Christian friends, and their non-Christian friends will happily go over their their house. Absolutely, he, I just I remember that story in relation to what we're talking about, and uh, that's one of the major things, Pete, is is empowering, like what you would call. I mean, I'm I'm not a big lover of the separation of clergy and lady. Um, we're to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. So um, it, it's not like you know, right now we pay uh, leaders to do the ministry for us. So we chuck money at them. We're like, you're the professional. Um, that's not the biblical model. The biblical model is um, if I'm paid, it's to reproduce. It's to equip others to do the work. So what Warren did is he empowers these guys to um, to, to plant, really, uh, house groups. He gave them the power. He basically did what Jesus did to the 12 and turns to him and goes, What's up to you and the Holy Spirit? Imagine if every single person, and I and I think sometimes Mama Bird needs to push the little chicky out of the nest sometimes. That's what I did to my church when they showed up that Sunday morning. We we're on Matthew 10, and I just did it. I didn't teach on it. I spoke on, on it about five, ten minutes and said, right, guys, um, go into this park. It was the park we were meeting at. He said, go talk to people. I'll see you in 40 minutes. And people are like, what? And they're looking at me like in shock and horror. And I go, that's the look right there that, that they must have been given to. I was laughing. I was punking them. But, you know, the reality is that, uh, you know, that's what people that's what people need. And that's what he did. And this brings up the whole idea of satellite campuses. Um, ironically, um, satellite campuses in America tend to discourage uh, discipleship. So, in other words, what it what it's become, like I said, is guys comparing their naughty bits in the locker room. A guy grows a big church and then goes, you know what, the world needs more of me. And and I know some people are going to say, no, 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 you got it wrong. And I know, I know that's a narrow. I, I'm saying the danger of it, right? I'm not saying that is what it is. I'm saying the danger of it is it can become that. We all know that. So then suddenly the guy's like, I got ten giant screens of me. And so the guy that is there, maybe he just does a bunch of counseling and visiting, and but the teaching is all done by, you know, Big Brother, you know, on the screen, you know, 1984, George Wellwell, he's watching you every Sunday morning. And so the, the irony of that is that the satellite campus idea started 
through Rick Warren uh, on the mission field. So, for example, what, what would happen is he would go down and speak, say, in Brazil, and he would be like, they need churches down here, and I don't have the time to start up. So what he would do is he would get a translator, translate one of the things he did presenting the gospel, and then he would um, ask people to host this you know, Bible study with him translated because he couldn't expect them to have the gifting. But like you said, people were much more ready to host something. And so what would happen is he said, say if we had 20 people starting out doing the movie, it got a kickstart. And he said, and what would happen is maybe out of those 20 groups of satellite home groups in a couple of months, somebody would take it on, and we might have three of them survive, and the other 17 die, but now we've got three church plants. And so it was out of his frustration that he could not reach more people in foreign countries, um, and that is, that's, a, a lot of people don't know what he does in missions. This is not a paid commercial for Rick Warren, it's just, I hear people criticize that guy so much, and as I've looked at what he's done in world mission, that's where he's impressive. That's where he's really impressive to me. Because I'm not a big mega church guy. I am a missions guy. And uh, by the way, that's a train goes by my house. But, uh, but that's how it started. And so it was actually a way to equip guys and to see them emerge as gifted leaders who wouldn't need videos. And um, it was a bit of his Gamaleo approach where Gamaleo's like, hey, if it's of the Lord, I'll survive. If it doesn't, it won't. And that brings up the fear of failure. If you're going to be a part of a multiplication movement, you can't be afraid to fail. Um, churches are idolatrous in America, at least, about success, right? If, if what you do doesn't succeed, you are branded as a failure. In a new breed, we say something. If you've seen our video, we train church planners. Um, it's like a dub of uh, 300, you know, the, the film with uh, Clive, whatever his name is. And uh, the only failure is the one who never tried is kind of the tagline at the end because the guy goes, what if you fail? And he says the only failure is the guy who never tried. Um, the old saying, you'll never fail if you never start, is true. And I think with church planners, you, you have to get over the idolatry of success. And I know for a fact, I traveled through Turkey, I've stood in places where Paul has preached. Because I remember traveling through Turkey with, with the book of Acts. It wasn't a religious tour. It just We just hit a bunch of places. And uh, I remember opening my Bibles going, oh, we're here. And it says he went into the marketplace and preached. And there was no church there. So not everything that Paul did uh, was a success. Fired, it was an evangelistic phenomenon. But other places, he went, he did the same thing. He preached the gospel, and it popped. And a church came. So evangelism always pulls church planning. Remember, we're called to preach the gospel and disciple. We're not, we're not actually told to, um, to plant churches. So what system and model? I don't care. Like, that doesn't matter to me. Um, Ed Stetzer pointed out that Calvary Chapel, which is a movement I grew up in, was the most prolific church planning movement of the 20th century. And the amazing thing about that is that none of them were trained. All of them were a bunch of like hippie, uh, you know, ex-druggies, and talk about hippies trying to organize something, please, right? Um, they they just don't do it. And God leads differently in different circumstances through different methods. I don't care what you do. Right now, uh, the church plant that I'm doing, 
the hub I planted looks nothing like the last hub I planted. Um, one started out of a Starbucks, and we met around coffee table, and it catered to the middle class. Eventually, that changed. The other one started from day one, scary as all get out, in public space in inner city Long Beach um, with all kinds of radical stuff. In two and a half years, I did five exorcisms. Um, it's just, it's gnarly. And so uh, Ian Bounds once said, men are always looking for methods, but God is looking for men. And I would add for women too, because on teams you got women, and that's super important. But uh, like uh, the LA Church Planning Mission, give them a little shout out. They're doing a good work. They want to plant, and I think it's, I'm going to get the number wrong, uh, but it's either like 29 neighborhoods in the greater, La if you know, uh, Texas up there, uh, the greater Los Angeles area, or 33. And um, th those two names jump out. And I probably made them both up. But they want to plant in every single one of those neighborhoods in the next few years. And they're doing a great job. And, and, and what they're doing is they're discipling. It's a network used to disciple, um, uh, you know, the, uh, uh, all the church planters. Francis Chan. He goes into the Tenderloin, and there's tenement buildings, which are like high-rises, and he says, I want a church in every single one of these high-rises, and he knocks on the door and says, can I pray for you? And comes back a week or two later and says, did anything happen? We've been praying. And he wants to hear a, a story of the supernatural. And in the meantime, he says, what needs can we meet? Do you have any needs? Like, are you, you know, and someone might say, well, I'm hungry. You know, it's Tenderloin. It's a bad area. Um, I can't pay my rent or whatever. And so he goes away, he prays for me, also meets some of their needs, um, and he comes back. I mean, who would think to do these models, right? Someone mentioned apartment life. That's one model. Um, starting home study in your living room. That's another model. The big launch. Uh, that's another model that, you know, other guys, you know, run coaching networks and they'll help you do a big launch. Um I mean, Pentecost is a big launch, right? Some people are like, oh, I don't believe in that. Well, Pentecost is a big launch. Jerusalem had a big launch. You, you just got to know that. I'm not a big launch guy. But I, I have a hard time with people knocking specific models because it's not what God called them to do. Just do what God's called you to do. That's the key. Attractional and missional, I'm both, right? Because I do back-to-front church. I, uh, the missional model and the way the, the model I guess that I use more than anything is I use the home studies in the midweek to launch my churches. So for example, let's go back to the earlier question. Um, you know what, what how do you do this? Like how do you practically do the four generation thing from second Timothy 2 two? Um, well, Looking at Travis's question, he says, can you be apostolic and be in one location? Yes. Um, let's say I stay. I'm the sender. Like, when I stay at a church, I, I'm eventually a leaver, so I'm a leaver and a stayer. I'm not going to stay three or four months. I might stay a number of years. My first hub, I stayed five years. But we started a church planning movement out of that. Um, when, when I'm in Long Beach, I've only been there, I think, two and a half years. And... I have now left, but I'm still working within the network. But the secret sauce for me is I don't duplicate Sunday mornings. So um, I don't, you know, like a lot of people are going back and forth between megachurch and house church. But we're kind of like, how do I put it? We're like a middle ground. We're not a megachurch. We're not 
uh, a house church. We kind of take both approaches, an attractional model on a Sunday. Sunday's about outreach, so we have our centralized gathering. But then, kind of like Hugh Halter says, you know, the gathered and scattered church, we scatter in the week into different neighborhoods. Um, one of them meets in San Pedro. One of them meets in Long Beach. One of them meets in Westminster. So we're in different neighborhoods, and the hope is that eventually each one of those home studies will become a church plant. And so whereas like the traditional church, you know, I, I don't know if you guys have seen this, but I have, where the pastor's afraid of equipping and empowering home studies because he doesn't want it to break off and become a church. Let's face it, home studies are awesome, right? You get discipleship, you get um, everything that you could ever hope to get from church, you get in a small group. You just do. And especially if you make that group uh, missional. Um, that's a missional community. Josh just asked a question. What do you think? Uh, what are your thoughts on starting missional communities to plant churches? Yes! Um, that's what I'm saying. Is I think of each home study that meets, and we tell our church, we're like, look, this is evangelism. It's not for you. It's, it's evangelism on Sunday. It's about them. So we do everything to reach people outside. But in the midweek, when we have our home studies, that's where we take communion. That's where we have a prayer meeting. That's where we do all the stuff that we don't do on Sunday, but I see those really the, the great secret for me, and it's not such a secret, as I see those as little core teams that eventually could break off. And we're actually doing that with San Pedro. Um, the Friday night Long Beach, uh, we call it COG, it's a home study, it stands for Community of Grace, is actually a core planning team that is now transplanting into San Pedro. And Ruben and I talked about this. We knew this way back then. We could almost predict when we announced the San Pedro team, we could almost predict who was going to go. And of course, if you got a guy who has a heart for San Pedro leading a group of people in Long Beach, which it's like the backyard, um, he's going to say to his team, hey, I'm going to go uh, plant. You guys want to go on mission together? It's Paul grabbing Timothy again. They know this dude. They trust him. They can't wait to get out there. And that's how it happens. So um, that that's it. I, I would say use those cogs. Um, use those home studies, plant out of them, see your church, use those as little incubators for your church plants to be. Does that make sense? I dig it. Cool! <laughs> We're just about out of time, aren't we? Uh, for this section of it, yeah. Let me just, uh, let me just quote uh, close by reading something out of Romans 15. I don't know if you guys have seen this or not. But uh, Romans 15, the more you read the scripture, uh, the more, it's a funny thing that, the Bible, um, the, the more you read the scripture, the more you start seeing, you're like, I don't know about you guys, but when I, when I started planning, I wasn't smart enough. I was not well versed enough in the book of Acts to actually understand um, kind of like, you know, how all this worked. Uh, I found myself reading Acts going, hey, I'm stupid enough to figure it out on my own, but it was the only thing that would work, and gosh dang it, what they're doing in the book of Acts is what we're doing in Wales, because that's what will work. So I'm going to start with verse 14. Just listen to this through church planter eyes, and if you've never read the book of Acts through church planter eyes, it is phenomenal. Listen to this. Paul says, I myself, he's writing to the Romans now, uh, Romans 15, verse 14, I myself am satisfied with you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. 
But on some points, I've written you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus of the Gentiles and the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. And then he says, in verse 17, in Christ Jesus, you never hear anyone saying this from a pulpit, right? But he says, in Christ Jesus then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. <laughs> have you ever heard anyone say, if you do, you're like, oh, there's something up with that guy. Listen to what he says. He's going to talk about the accomplishment. Listen to what he says. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that, here, here's what he's going to tell you what has been accomplished, so that from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. He's basically saying, I was given this network to plant, and I did it. I finished my area. It was like he ticked a box. Done. Every major city in Paul's network, he planted in. So it's what you hear gateway cities. Some church planting movements are hitting gateway cities, they call them, because they know that the, they're the centers of culture, and they know that everything comes out of those cities, and so they plant there, like Paul did Corinth, like he did uh, Rome, um, Jerusalem. These were all gateway cities. But Paul went out to all the major... He didn't go to every village. Jesus had the disciples go to every uh, town, every village, and he made them come back when they're done. But Paul specifically targets gateways. But think of this now. Would the Apostle Paul that you know and love be content just to reach cities and not the areas, the towns and villages surrounding no, you know he wouldn't. So what was Paul doing? In each city, Paul was creating a church planning movement. Just think about it. Ephesus becomes the hub, right? For the first time in Acts chapter 19, it says about Paul that he, he stays on his third missionary journey. You can trek his journeys, his three missionary journeys, and notice that the apostle Paul actually changes. He learns as he goes. And so he plants hubs in the end of his ministry. He sets in one place and he trains guys out because he knows his time is short. And so in Ephesus, it says that in Ephesians chapter 19, uh, that Paul lectures daily for two years in the Hall of Tyrannus. Guys, what he's doing is he's reproducing himself. He is making church planters. The reason he's doing that is because they're going to go out from Ephesus, the church planting hub, and they're going to plant out into the surrounding region. Just let me ask you, Revelation chapter uh, 2 and 3, the seven churches of Asia, what's the first church listed? Ephesus. That was the hub. What are the other six churches? Scholars tell us that it goes in a spiral, right? outward from Ephesus in the order of those letters to the seven churches. I have read commentaries that have said, we don't know why they're in this order, but we see a geographical pattern. I'll tell you why. Because it was the order of expansion of a church planting movement using Ephesus as the hub. Boom, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> I dig it, man. I dig it. So, Pete! I want to I want to talk about jump school because by the way guys one of the things uh, that uh, 
uh, is important for you to know is that um, when we talk about discipleship and mentorship, Ed Stetzer said one thing in Viral Churches that really stuck with me, that uh, church plants, church planters that have direct mentorship have a 135% higher success rate in their survivability as a plant. Now that is the uniting factor. That's what he brings out of it. He says, guys who have what Timothy had from Paul, that mentorship, and what Titus had, and what Epaphroditus had, uh, all those guys that Paul mentioned, Sylvanus, that mentorship, those are the guys that survive. It will increase your chance by 135%. And so because of that, we've uh, chosen to present Jump School. We're excited. It's been over three years in the making. And uh, Pete, tell us a little bit about it, man. Sure. Yeah, I'll uh, I'll talk somewhat about it, but uh, you're going to have to fill in a lot of the, the blanks. They need so, to hear you so they can see why they don't agree with you on they, anything. And see, that's if you guys, um, if you have not been listening to the Church Planner podcast, you will not understand that inside joke, but uh, there's, there's a battle raging on Twitter with hashtags, I do agree with Pete, and I don't agree with Pete. So I'll just leave it at that. But uh, anyway, Jump School is... First of all, it's an online training course and a, a community for church planners that are in the trenches. And um, basically what we're doing with Jump School is it provides all the training you need to plant your first church. Plus, obviously, true to this webinar, it will teach you from day one how to become a multiplication movement. So who is this for? Well, first of all, it's for you. Um, it's for church planners who haven't started yet. It's for church planners who are about ready to launch. It's for church planners who have already launched. And it's for pastors that are looking to plant out of their current church. And that's actually, we've had a lot of pastors come to us because, um, you know, they want to know, how, how, do we, how do we plant out? I mean, that's, that's not been maybe even how they got their church. Um, and then it's for your Nana. I don't know. I don't know what that's all about, Peyton. I put that yeah, in there because basically it's for anybody. You've heard me talk about it already. It's for equipping the saints. I mean, really, you know, it's kind of like um, where Moses goes, "Would to the Lord that all His people were prophets." I don't. I don't think we got to hide the goodies, man. I. I think we got to check goodies at people, and you know, we we think of ministerial training. Now, don't get me wrong. I believe strongly in leadership. Leadership exists. I, you hear guys right now, they're like, oh, no, there's not. Well, that's what Ephesians 4 is. It's leadership. Um, but ministry is for everybody. But the reality is people will emerge as leaders. Others won't, and you know that. When an accident, I was a firefighter, when an accident happens, natural leaders just run up and start helping the people. Other people pull out their phones and record the event. Um, you know what a leader is, and, and in a church situation, it's no different. But every single person, if you're a church planner, definitely for you. Um, if you're a guy who thinks about church planning, definitely for you. But if you've never planned, you just are going to be a part of a team, it's good for you too. And we've incorporated that in. So it, 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 I just want people to understand it's for everybody. So the reason why we're doing Jump School this way is... You've heard Peyton mention the uh, New Breed uh, network that he runs. And one of the, the drawbacks to New Breed is New Breed requires you to come to us and we take you on mission and get you plugged in. In fact, uh, right now on the webinar, we got Barry, who's uh, from Wales, and he came all the way from Wales. He's going to be out here the next six months training with Peyton with New Breed 
on how to do it. And most people can't do that. I mean, Barry's he's young and stupid, so that's why he did it. <laughs> but but he's single too. I mean, if you got a family, you may not be able to do that. Any church so, planning ladies on here? Very single. <laughs> That's right. Wasn't it his family who said he's supposed to come back with a wife or something like that? Yeah, I actually put that on his list of you know his personal goals and objectives for this time with us before we send him back to plant. And I put there the last thing, and he, he told me, I don't know if I can do much about that one. So well, we'll see. You're not trying hard enough, Barry, but here's the deal. Um, Pilgrim Benham, my buddy in Tampa Bay, um, serial church planner, church planning ninja. Um, by the way, that's going to be my, my new site. PeytonJones.Ninja, Church Planning Ninja. Here's the deal. Are there any good materials to train apprentice future church planners? That's his question. Guys, honestly, I have joined a number of church planning courses for a couple months at a time because I wanted to know like what's out there for my guys because I get asked all the time that question. How do I train? Where's the good materials? Um, there's a lot of good books. In fact, um, part of what we're offering in Jump School is an essential reading list that you can you know grab and we'll do like reviews of them, um, audio reviews. But um, when he says, "Are there any good materials, guys?" The reason we're doing this is because the programs I joined, I joined one, and it was like someone's recycled conference audio. And I, I remember it was like waitress, hello, like no nobody was there to help me. I didn't even know like and and it was a scheduled webinar, and if you missed it, that was it. Right and 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 so it, it didn't help me. Um, there was another one I did where it was like the guy had one model and it was the big launch, and what he would do every uh, every week was try to fit you into his or every month was fit you into his model, and he would send you things that you probably weren't really going to use in your context. It wasn't adaptable. It wasn't scalable. It was all about the big launch. Another network that I joined, um, the guy would send you graphics, and that was it. He'd be like, here's the package, here's the slides for your overheads, here's the campaign, you've got to go print all this stuff up, and we'll put your church name in it. And I'm just like, you know, that's not church planner training. Like, I get, those are resources. Like, that's what our network does for each other. New Breed Network does that, um, where they share all that stuff. But that's not actually... Uh, that's not actually church planner training. So really, for me, guys, I see a whole, like what you heard today, I mean, I just noticed the comments, people are like, man, this is awesome. This is this is good stuff, you know, this is legit. It's the real deal. Um, you guys, you know, and, and, and that's encouraging to me because first thing I always say is nobody in this game is an expert. I, I don't care who you are. Uh, each time I go to plan a church, it's like jumping out of the airplane for the first time because I'm over a different jump zone. But I tell you what, if I've jumped a bunch of times, I know how to pack my parachute. Uh, I, I know how to do my safety checks, and that's what we're going to help you. We're going to be the Paul to you, to your Timothy. It's interactive. We will be there for you. Um, All right, let's, we'll, let's keep moving in. Yeah, 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 sorry. We'll, we'll cover that stuff. <laughs> You're like, slow down, Turbo. I get excited about this. So. Well, yeah, and, and we're going to cover it, and I want people to know what's involved in it, but we got a slide for that. Barry spent all that time we, we putting do. the slide together, <laughs> and you're like, jump it in. <laughs> so uh, first of all, let's just hit it off. What does it cost? It's 147 a month just to get that out of the way so everyone knows what it is. All right, so what's included? All right, if you're looking for graphics, advertising pieces, a short film on church planning, an audio interview of what it was like to plant a church 30, 30 years ago, then this isn't for you. I love that slide. That's that one great. always makes me chuckle. 
So here's what's actually included in this. Um, exclusive audio lectures from Peyton's university courses on church planting. Uh, if you listen to the Church Planter podcast, you know he's also the dean of church planting for uh, uh, Calvary University. And, um, and so we're including his, his lectures from his university courses on church planning. Yeah, um, also, and I've, I've got eight courses, so um, they're all different, you know, and they're extensive, man. One, I think, just the first class has like 20 lectures. We're not saying you'll get all of them, but it'll it'll match the topic of that month. Right. So uh, the First Time Every Time Club, this is an exclusive interview with a newbie church planner. Essentially, it's a master class makeover where uh, Pete and Peyton speak into his church plant. Really, uh, Peyton speaks into the church plant. I just sit around and make snide comments not and remarks. True. Not true at all. <laughs> a, a curriculum to equip the planter. Uh, coaching roundtable where we're going to answer your church planning questions live on a monthly hangout call. So every month um, we're going to be diving deep specifically on your questions. Like even on this webinar, I was actually surprised at how many questions we had come in. Yeah. And uh, we didn't. Good questions, guys. Yeah, we didn't even get a chance to get to them all. So, you know, um, <laughs> we're going to be including. There, uh, there was a side. Did you notice the side conference going on? I know. Like I did because I wasn't talking. I was like reading it all, and there's <laughs> like I was talking at one point and started throwing me off because I'm like, wow, there's a whole other conference going on in those comments. <laughs> I know. So, um, free subscription to Church Planner Magazine after the current free subscription ends. Right now, our our magazine is being sponsored, and uh, when that ends, then it'll be a a paid subscription. But for everyone in Jump School, they'll always uh, get Church Planner Magazine for free. And if you're not getting it right now, you do want to get it while it's being sponsored and paid for. So it's available on your iPad or your iPhone or also in the Android store. Just look up Church Planner Magazine because uh, we're, the, we're the only ones. Uh, a monthly hot sheet from Peyton's Essential Church Planner Toolkit reading list for that month's topic. Um, monthly exclusive audiobook reviews from Pete and Peyton. Basically, we know what it's like for the Bivo guy because... Um, I mean, Peyton is Bivo. I, I don't really consider myself in ministry. I'm just more like this guy who's, you know, doing Running all this stuff. until the whale swallows him up. P pretty much. And <laughs> you have to listen to the podcast to really understand that. But um, but we know what it's like when you've got a shortage of time, right? I mean, you're you're working, you've got your family, and you're starting a church. I mean, how do you have time to read all this stuff that's coming out there? So Peyton and I thought one of the easiest ways that we could help you guys out is we will, um, anybody who listens to the podcast knows Peyton is an avid reader, and we're going to both read the, the books that uh, we're talking about that month, and we're going to give you basically the, the executive summary um, on an audio format so you guys can listen to that. Uh, this is not going to be part of Church Planner Podcast. This will be specific for jump school people. Uh, so that way you can basically get the essence of the book if you don't have the time to actually yeah. read the whole book. So um, here's the course breakdown. Monthly live conference calls on month one, intro to biblical church planting, uh, church planting as it is in Acts. And by the way, Peyton, feel free to uh, you know comment on any of these things if you want to go deeper on what we're going to be covering on these months. Uh, month two, uh, Peyton calls it boot camp. Uh, the Planter's Calling, Character, and Gifting. Uh, month three, the Quartermaster, Preparation, Funding, and Support. That's like, of all of our podcasts, this is, um, the topic on raising funds is always in the top five. 
uh, of our most downloaded podcasts. Uh, month four, the terrain, models, strategy, mapping, and the spirits leading. Uh, month five, your squad, gathering your core team, slash vision and mission statements. Month six, ammo check, gift-driven team stuff, leadership team dynamics, how not to burn people out, basic core values of a church plant, what would early church do, three things that need to happen, you're more important than anything you can do for me, these are all basically subtopics that we're going to be talking about in that month. Yeah, these are these are kind of like mantras that in order to survive a church plant, you're I'm not saying you got to have these mantras, but if, if you've planted and your church is done, you've been teaching things like this anyways. There's a certain culture, maybe you haven't, and and problems will come out of it if you don't. Um, every church has its problems, but these are things I've been in ministry for 22 years. Um, that's that's paid. I mean, obviously I've been serving the Lord longer in that, but, um, you know, the, the reality is that uh, these are just things, just bits of wisdom, man, that that I've been able to kind of pick up along the way and kick down, and they have been essential to creating multiplication churches. Yeah. So month seven, plan of attack, this is outreach, forward planning for outreach. <laughs> wow, you actually put Xmas in there? Not I did, because it's the cross, baby. Dude, I'm telling you, man, as a Baptist, that's offensive. It's oh, anyway. putting the cross back in Christmas. I'm just telling you. Shouldn't it be a T then? T-mas? T-mas. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> anyway. Um, Let it forever uh, be known. Easter, uh, social stuff, serving the community. Month eight, jump school. This is the actual launch, getting prepped up for that and doing your launch. Uh, air support, exorcisms, healings, filling of the spirit and prayer. That's Everybody the month wants I, month nine. Everybody's yeah. going to want that. Hurry up and get to month nine. Show that's, me how. That's the month I won't be there because um, as a good Baptist, we pretty much don't believe that exorcisms happen except uh, in third world countries. And, uh, <laughs> I've told you, man, that's the most uncomfortable thing in the world for me. To even Anyway, uh, we'll go on. Month 10, shoot to kill, preaching, counseling, and pastoral issues. Uh, month 11, advancement, becoming a church planting church. Leadership training, raising people up through COGS. Those are communities of grace or small groups, house churches, missional communities, whatever you want to call it. COGS is just a term that we use. Uh, month 12, digging in, lessons, pitfalls, and getting ready for the second year, which is actually going to be your hardest year in church planting. Um, it's always the hardest year. Yeah, and uh, going back, you know, Pilgrim mentions, um, wait, this doesn't include lightsaber training, and uh, indeed it does, and you will be a church planning Jedi by the time you're done, a church planning ninja, that will work for some of you. Um, a, uh, the, the reality is that one of the things, and we brushed over it really quickly, is we've put together a church planting manual. Um, there, it oh, has been. Yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, it has been. Yeah, we we went over it really quickly. But one of the things that you get is the church planning manual called Jump School, um, broken down in topic sections. So every month you're getting this intense, you know, through audio, video. Um, we're equipping you with resources. Where I mean, it's it's just killer, man. Then you're getting like you know the street level manual on on that topic. It's just super, like, seriously, this is what I needed when I planted. That's how we've built this, is I sat back and thought, what did I need? And then, you know, uh, someone to talk to, someone to, to help me, someone to interact with. And that the interaction thing is going to be cool. But 
But that's it. But the manual, that, that is jump school, and we cannot wait to get that out to you. And, yes, you will be uh, a church-planting ninja Jedi. And, uh, yeah, we, we, should, we should give them a lightsaber when they're done. We should. We should. So here are the, uh, the fast start bonuses. And the fast start bonuses, here's what's going to happen. If you decide that this is something that you want to do, um, you want to uh, join this jump school, be a part of the, the network, um, if you sign up, basically, we, we were going to make it just if you sign up today. We've got some really cool stuff for you. But uh, in thinking about it, since we're going to have this on a replay and we know that you know most of our guys are even listening right now, I mean, they're chatting in going, i got to go. Um, we're probably going to extend this through the, the replay for at least the next uh, three days is when we're going to have the replay up. Um, so the, the fast start bonus, if you sign up for this while we're doing the, uh, the replay, at least through that time per, uh, period, you know, maybe you want to pray about it, talk about it with your family, things like that. We understand. Um, so these, these fast start bonuses will extend through the, uh, the replay. But we've got the Jump School t-shirt. Maybe, that's, maybe the fast start bonus should come with the lightsaber there. Huh? Well, huh? maybe we could make t-shirts with lightsabers on them. There you go. That's the t-shirt. We haven't designed the t-shirt yet. So. We need to have ones that say, like, Church Planning Ninja in Training, and the other one needs to say Church Planning Jedi in Training. And it needs to say, Mi Dragon es muy rapido. And, again, you have to listen to the podcast to understand yeah, that. Yeah, that's an insight. If you don't listen to the podcast, you won't understand half our jokes. If you don't listen to the podcast, I'm not sure you can actually be a church planner. I, don't, I think you need to rethink your life and calling. I think you do. So... Um, audio recordings of classic ministry books that you need to read but probably never will. Again, we know that um, as a church planner, you're you're just busy. Life's busy. But I mean, how I consume a lot of uh, the books, um, I can't really say that I read because I'm listening to them on Audible.com or something like that. Because when I'm driving, I just turn my car into as Zig Ziglar said, a university on wheels. And um, and I never let my, my drive time be wasted time where I'm just listening to the radio, even if it is. Dun, 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 dun. I've got the power. <laughs> so, That's what Pete always listens to when he's driving down the like an 80s. You know, it's either an audio book, a podcast, or I got the power. Oh, that's how it should. That's how it should always open, right? Always. So uh, when finished, you'll receive a personal review of your readiness to plant. If you pass, you'll become eligible to apply to the Newbury Training Network, and that'll be no cost to you. Um, other fast start bonuses, Peyton's next book, uh, Jump School, Unleashing Gospel Commandos to Take No Man's Land, and then just to, to be a smart aleck, I put in there Pete's next book, Small Mega Churches, Churches that Choose Gospel <laughs> Penetration Over Size. Uh, we're still uh, up in the air on if Pete's going to actually uh, write that book. More than likely, uh, um, it'll be based on how many people say, I agree with Pete, or I don't agree with Pete, and their hashtag. But uh, so we're gonna go to Fiverr and have someone write it for us. <laughs> of course, of course. <laughs> so um, also during the um, the fast start bonuses, instead of it being the 147 a month, we'll do it for the uh, 97 a month. And up on your screen, you should have just had a uh, what they call a pop-ins. It popped up. You see the uh, oh, it's got the old logo, the established by God logo. How do you like that one? Well, what do you know? What do you know? We'll have to change that. But um, anyway, uh, you can get registered by going to jumpschooltraining.com or click that uh, Add to Cart button, and um, and that'll get it started. So it'll officially start August 1st, but the rest of this month here in July, we're going to be holding special calls just to get you ready 
for the start that's coming in August. Um, is there anything else that you want to say on that, Peyton? Um, yeah, just that, uh, you know, as, as you go through this, if you're, um, if you see it and you're kind of like, man, you know, that's a lot of money, you know, just remember 135% higher success rate. If, if you just got to look at it this way, if you can't afford it and you know, I'm not a salesman or I'm not trying to sell you. Um, but the reality is get your sending church to sponsor you, get somebody to sponsor you. Because this is, you know, we care about church planners. Everything else we've ever done is free. I've been, I've been training planners. My network was free, um, you know, and, and eventually we had to limit it because all these fruit nuts joined up. And I'm like, I don't know these guys, and half of them are weirdos. But the reality is that if you're, um, if you're gonna come on, uh, where was I going? I just saw that our, our saying that the uh, website there's an issue. We'll fix that in a second, guys. Um, but anyways, I was just going to say that, uh, you know, if you, if you invest in that, you know, however it works out, um, just make sure that you get uh, your, your send, sending church to sponsor or whatever. Um, our heart is to do everything for you guys that we can. And uh, this is going to help equip other guys too. And uh, that's it, man. That's all I got to say about that. Yeah, so um, I think I forgot to turn on that website, so that's totally my fault. But if you click on the Add to Cart, that'll take you right to it. I'll While we're uh, doing our break here before we got Dave Ferguson on, I'll uh, make sure jumpschooltraining.com is finished uh, being set up. And so let's actually take that break right now. Um, it is 10.55 here on the West Coast. So let's go ahead and take a 10-minute break. So at 11.05, we will come back. And um, we've got the interview with Dave. We actually pre-recorded the interview because we had scheduling issues. Um, so we're going to come back and, uh, and we'll have that interview here on the Hangout. So if you want, this is the perfect time to go use the restroom. Uh, click the Add to Cart button if you want. Sign up for Jump School. And we'll come back at 11.55 in 10 minutes with that interview. Um, anything else, Peyton? Final nope. thoughts? That's it, man. We'll see you guys right. don't oh don't uh, don't forget to come back for Dave. Dave is uh, Dave is the man. So he's got uh, an incredible presentation. It's one of the best presentations I've ever seen. It's not going to be a repeat of what I've given you. Dave has planted tons of churches. He got started late. He did not do it in his first year. He's going to confess about that, um, and he's going to tell you maybe if you're behind the game how to turn it around and um, not become a statistic. It's going to be a good. Good talk. Pete and I have heard it already, so uh, join us back for that.